Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonzalez. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So as always, I say this every time. I have amazing guests. And today is no exception. He is a published author. He's also a child and family advocate. Super excited to talk to him about that. And he's on this podcast because he's an amazing father. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Winkler. What's up, sir? What's going on, brother? My mind, I can hear all the clapping and the and the screaming. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing with this introduction. As you, so. <laughs> As you are hearing it exactly correct. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, man, this is, I'm really excited to talk to you, man. Um, I know we uh, we talked a little bit um, at the function we were last at, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I was really excited to hear about what you do, especially in relation to families and fathers. Mm-hmm. So I really want to, I really want to talk about that. So uh, I'll ask the first question I typically ask all my guests, how did your life change uh, when you first became a father? I believe for me, it changed seismically because I, I realized that at that moment, there was someone who needed me completely, mm. right? Not in a typical type of relationship way, right? There's, you think that people need you, but they don't really need you. They want to need you or they need to need you. But if you leave their life, they, can, they will go on as they did go on before you and you and their lives intersected, right? Mm-hmm. But with a child, it's much different. If you leave that child, either the child will die or the child will end up in the hands of someone who that doesn't necessarily or won't necessarily love them the way you would. Mm. So for me, it changed because I knew, I knew I had to start looking at the areas in my life that would prevent me from being there for that child until the child didn't need me in those sort of basic ways. Interesting. Interesting. That's mm-hmm. a great way to look at it. I don't think uh, anyone has ever said it that way. Uh, especially yeah. on this podcast. I've never heard it that way. So that's a great, a great outlet because again, like you said, if, if you don't take care of them, they're either going to die or they're going to, you know, have peril at the hands of someone else. Right. That's real right. talk. That's real talk. That's real talk, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into, uh, to what you do. Cause I really want to, to give your insight. Uh, you're a child and family advocate. Can you mm-hmm. first explain what that is and also how, uh, you function in that role? Sure. So uh, I guess there's many different ways to look at it, right? But for me, I look at it as I am there to position myself to be a voice, to be a support for those who need a bridge. Okay. Right? A bridge over troubled waters, a bridge to their understanding of their greatness, a bridge to resources. So for me, that type, when I say advocate, that's what I mean, right? And, and, And the capacity that I do that currently. I'm running a program that's being funded by the Department of Justice that essentially it's designed to help keep children away from using substances. Okay. 
you know, any type of illegal substance, right? And for children, you know, street drugs, or marijuana, all that's illegal to it, right? Mm-hmm. For most people, and including alcohol, opiates, uh, and then the families that are struggling with that. We help them to understand one, what, you know, how kids fall into, how children fall into that, 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 that trope, how they, how they end up there, the signs to look for, and, you know, what treatment looks like. But also, you know, I built in a component. Uh, it's, it's essentially, it's a 10-week workshop that they wanted to call it something else. They wanted to be designed in a way that was evidence-based and evidence using the modality of, it's called art, aggression reduction training, right? Okay. And that's just teaching skills to help them in their behaviors and help them to be quote-unquote pro-social. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that, right? So what I designed was a 10-week curriculum, uh, rather, that essentially helped them to understand how to get to a pathway to their joy, to their purpose. Because mm. in doing that, they won't find, they'll find that I can't do that and have this in my life. I can't work towards being in, in, a, in a really a, a state of joy and using drugs, right? Because that's just uh-huh. a temporary fix. That's a temporary right sort of passing through of joy, of feeling good, but it's not, it's not permanent. It's not, it's not a default. I designed a curriculum that will help them to really look at their life, where they are, appreciate, have gratitude for the things around them. So the gratitude could help to be a buoy to keep them up during the times that they feel like they are collapsing into depression. Mm-hmm. When I came in, man, I said, here's what they wanted me to do, right? And for me, whenever I walk into a situation, I say, Okay, that's what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. Where's the expansiveness of that? Hmm. Right. How can I take what you have, you know, imagined in your mind mm-hmm. that this is what will help these children? And how can I expand that based upon my experiences? Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. What prompted you or um, gave you the, the wherewithal to, to decide to do something like that? You know what? It's going to sound, you know, maybe... <laughs> corny or whatever, man, but it's really my purpose. Okay. Right. And so I, as I help one of my workshops is, is finding purpose. Right. Okay. And the way I structure it, you know, I put, I tell them to think about 10 things that you're interested in. And then out of those 10 things, what five of you really passionate about? And out of that five, what do you how, what do you see yourself doing for money and for the world? Right. OK. I unconsciously did this over the course of my life. Right. There's things that I, I was interested in photography, interested uh-huh. in, well, not really sports, but, you know, running. And so, you know, interested in nature. So I'm, I'm, I'm running through my mind of all these things I'm interested in. But somehow it always came back to helping people in some way. Mm-hmm. I stopped ignoring that 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 tendency, that desire, and I leaned into it. And leaning into it, you know, I started to create a atmosphere of study where I could really understand what mm. that means to help people, right? And gotcha. what I discovered was helping people is not telling people things. It's not giving people your ideas and telling them this is what you have to do. It's about exposing them to information, right? And then showing them a pathway where they can start practicing certain strategies until they can adopt things on their own where they can make it their own, right? And so that 
and that I found that that brings me joy, man. It keeps me in my atmosphere of joy. It keeps me in my atmosphere of feeling purposeful. Wow. That's, that's huge. That's commendable. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate when people, like you said, and, and I don't think it's corny at all. Um, you know, you're saying that's your purpose. And mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, when people have, I mean, cause we all have purpose in something, right. Yes. Or we yes. should, uh, we mm -hmm. should. And I think when people's purpose is helping other people mm -hmm. and they get joy out of that and satisfaction, uh, and mm -hmm. they feel accomplished, I think that's huge because ultimately I think we just need more people in the world like that. Yeah that are wanting yeah. to give back, that are willing to do so. And that, you know, uh, enjoy doing that. It's not a burden to them or they feel like they have to, for whatever reason. No, this is something that they really want to do. And I think that's great. I mean, for me, it's all, everything we do, right? We can find sort of a, a small purpose, right? but then there's a bigger purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I think most people sort of stop at like, well, I love cooking. My purpose in life is to cook, right? And right. that's beautiful, right? Because you found something you love, you found something that bring you joy. Right. But for me, I like to think in a way like, okay, this is what I'd like to do. How can I expand this? How can I bring this to a broader level where I'm really helping to make the world around me, not necessarily the world, right? But the world around me, a better place. How can I contribute towards that? So if I love to cook, I, I will cook and then if I perhaps use that and then I unfold that, that folds into me owning the restaurant, making the world a better place would be maybe on Tuesdays or Thursdays, or one day out of the week, I feed the homeless, hmm. right? And, gotcha. I, and I get a coalition of other restaurants together and we do that, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what, you know, it's what I say purpose, man. I, some people say, well, I, you know, what does that even mean, right? So for me, again, it just means finding something that you love to do as an individual and then finding a way to extrapolate that into, you know, doing that on a broader, bigger, more expansive way. Sure. Can we talk about your book a little bit and tell me what uh, what got you to the point where you decided you wanted to write a book? The name of the book is called My Daughter's Keeper. And it's mm -hmm. about my journey to get my daughter back into my life, right? Mm -hmm. After she had been removed by uh, Child and Family Services. Well, actually, she wasn't removed by Child and Family Services. The child's mother removed her from my life that ended up us both being in a sort of a legal entanglement that involved child and family services and the court system. It was a year and a half, a two year journey of which probably three or four months of that, I didn't see my child. You know, my child was maybe three or four. So I was, I was a new father at that point, mm. right? So I, you know, here I am making this declaration of taking care of my child and I, no longer had the ability to do that. Why I wrote the book is because I needed to, once I came out of the journey and I removed myself from the emotionality of the, of the journey for that to happen, I had to look at what parts of me created this situation that caused this rift between the child's mother and I that resulted in her feeling that she no longer wanted to be in my life. And as a result, take the child with her as well, took the child right. out of my life as well. And, you know, I had to look at the parts that I didn't necessarily look at when I first made that declaration of taking, doing everything I, I need to do to take care of my child, right? That included changing things in myself that I hadn't really examined yet, right? My propensity towards, you know, being untruthful, my propensity towards, you know, 
not being faithful to some degree, right? I had moved away from that experience, but there was still that propensity in me. So I had to look at all those things. I had to be raw and I had to be honest and I had to look at everything circling my life that will prevent me from being the best father that I could be. And so the book was sort of born out of that, but it was also born out of the fact that in that time that I was going through getting my child back into my life, I was, you know, I had been introduced to fatherhood groups and I realized that there was a lot of fathers out there who were going through painful situations Mm. uh, like me. Right. And I was exposed to a much broader understanding that this was not an individual thing. This was, you know, a lot of fathers are experiencing this and a lot of fathers are in the thralls of this because a lot of fathers didn't take the journey that I had really committed myself to taking about being very honest with myself about, you know, examining the things that I need to expunge from my life in order to be a father, in order to be worthy, to truly be a father. And so that was it, man. So that the book was really born out of that. The book was born out of, you know, a, a, a guide, sort of a guide, if you will, or just a look at, it's not a how-to book. It's not a how to go to court, how to, how to get your child back. It's, you know, how to go into yourself and do radical examination in order to be worthy to be a father. But also it was a, it was an opportunity for women who inherit a father who loses a child. They're not necessarily the woman who took the child. They're, they're women who receives, gets into a relationship with, with a man like that and what this man may be feeling, but not talking about because of something I call radicalized masculinity. Some people call it toxic masculinity. Yes. I call it radicalized masculinity. Fathers, un- men unable to express themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So they bottle it in. They hold it in. Uh, what's wrong? Well, I, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But all but all the while, this they're, they're breaking down inside because they don't have their children in their life. And I can say this for, for a fact, because I was in the rooms with men who were you would think that they would never cry over anything. Right. They would break down talking about their child. And I realized that there are men who was in the struggle far longer than me to some fathers who hadn't seen their children for years. Hmm. Right. And yet they had not given up hope. And Hmm. I don't. And so for me, what happened was I I stopped judging, you know, fathers like who were not in it to like this person, you know, why, why would he give up the struggle? Right. And because I realized also, I put that in the book that, you know, this is, this is a heavy thing when you go through a, a, a struggle, trying to get your child back in your life, you know, especially as a black man going into court, there's already this historical perception of who you are. Sure. So so you're going to court, a black and brown man. So you're going to court and you're faced with that. And you go into court with all these emotions and you are talking from those emotions. And so whatever narrative is in those paperwork, it's like, oh, that's who he really is. right? Mm. So I, I introduced this book for fathers to read so they can say, oh, here's somewhat of a guide, but not just like how to go in there and be performative but how to really get to the point where you can express yourself, where you can have these emotions express yourself in a very authentic way. And part of that is it's shedding the lies about yourself that you have told to yourself. So there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing I'll say is I think it's commendable that you did the searching within yourself Uh and you realized that there was issues within yourself and Uh uh, there were problematic things that you needed to kind of root Uh out of yourself in order to Uh get to where you needed to be, uh, to Uh be the father that you should be. 
So Mm -hmm. I think that's commendable because I think there are a lot of times that, um, and you talked about uh, toxic masculinity, or like you said, radicalized masculinity. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times I feel like that services. And then it's like, I'm not the problem. You're the right. Right. I don't have any issues. You have the issues. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a lot of times I think people that are, um, have those traits, they're not looking inward. Um, mm-hmm. They don't understand what they're exuding or what they're mm-hmm. projecting on someone else mm-hmm. and how they can be also the problem. Absolutely. So I think that that's huge right there. Also, um, the fact that, I mean, you wrote a book, so, and you put it in there because, I mean, obviously something like that, especially when you're kind of putting yourself not in the greatest light, you're you're showing mm-hmm. change, but you're showing that you had these issues. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, just in general, we as men, and I'll take it a step further, black men, we don't want to be, mm-hmm. we don't want to expose ourselves or show where we have shortcomings or faults. And we know that no one is perfect. Like, let's right. keep it all the way real. Like no one out right. here is perfect. We all have things that we have to work on continuously. But I think it's good that you have shown um, that in a book that people can read and kind of use it as however they want to use it and as a tool, you know, essentially. That's how I would see it. Um, But Mm -hmm. then also taking a step further and realizing there are other men that, you know, are coming across the same thing. I had Mm -hmm. a, there's a gentleman interviewed on this podcast on a previous season and he kind of gave his story about how, why his child is not in his life now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was some back and forth, but ultimately the, the mother, you know, kind of use the child against him because she mm-hmm. didn't want to be in a relationship, you know, or right. he didn't want to be in a relationship with the mother, excuse me. So then she took that as like, okay, well, you can't see your child kind of right. in a nutshell. And right. so kind of weaponized the child. And so there was a, a span of time where he wasn't able to see the child at all. And then there was some like, oh, okay, well, you can see him sometimes. And then, but a lot of time, a lot of, in that instance, the damage was done. Mm-hmm. And so he just never really recovered as far as like trying to build the relationship. I mean, you 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 mentioned uh, your do- your daughter, right? Correct. Yes. Um, was was young, so I'm mm-hmm. sure that I'm assuming you were able to to get uh, an enough time to make sure the relationship was sound and continue on further. Mm-hmm. For him, he's dealing with this child is already a teenager, and he's trying mm-hmm. to you know work this out. So. Anyway, I'm saying that to say that obviously this is an ongoing issue uh, Mm -hmm. and this is something that is happening all over when it comes to um, the dynamic of uh, mothers and fathers with their children, especially if they're not together. So I just want to say, you know, thank you for putting that out there. Um, I think I think it's amazing that there's uh, something out there that people can look at and read. And your story obviously has a happy ending and has a joyous ending as well. And the fact that you were able to 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 sync that relationship with your daughter, I think that's you. Yeah, you know, in the, I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. In, in the beginning of my book, man, I, I write the epilogue. You know, that I didn't win. For me, the victory would have been sweetest if my child had an experience with both parents, right? Uh, a balanced experience with both parents. So currently it's not that way, right? It's, a, it's an imbalanced dynamic. And I do, I have had the time with my daughter to build a solid relationship, right? And so the purpose of the book, really, I mean, at the core, but I really wanted men to stop and look at themselves, right? Because you talk to most men, they're lost in the pain of the of the situation of, and of the dynamic, and they really don't take the t- opportunity to really see what they contributed 
to that dynamic, right? Their pain won't let them see that. Their pain is projection. It's like, mm. this is what the mother, my, the mother took. Because my situation is very similar to the brothers. It was, it was, mm. it was, it was, it was once something was found out about another relationship that all of this was activated, right? And so, but I can't blame the mother for that, right? I, I have to look at myself and say, how did I handle things leading up to that? What was my contribution to that? Hers was a reaction to my actions, mm. right? So I can't blame her for that. I have mm. to look at myself and looking at myself allowed me to start shedding those tendencies that will allow me to do that again, right? Because that would have interfered with me having a relationship with my daughter because I would have been in pain and I would have interfered with her. my pain would have caused me to interfere with my child's relationship with her mother because I would have been projecting subtle ways. You know, your mother did this, your mother did this. Mm -hmm. And now, because I'm such a huge influence in my child's life, if I would have done it that way, I would have influenced my child towards having a negative relationship with the other parent. And that happens both ways. Right? Sure. I'm not just putting this on men. That happens both ways. Yes. But I deal with men because they have such a powerful position in this society, right? And they are the ones at times that move the pendulum more, right? And so I look at when we talk about the idea of radicalized masculinity, you know, and, you know, me trying to stay away from that. And one of the things I did to stay away from that. I did. I, I said nothing negative about the mom. Even when I was feeling that energy, I literally doing this whole process, I wouldn't even allow my mind to finish a thought in that way. Right. And when people came around me to talk in that way, I stopped them because I didn't have enough mental real estate to hold what I was doing, but also mm -hmm. hold that energy. So I blocked that energy. And mm -hmm. to this day, this day, we're talking about 10 years later, almost my daughter be 15 soon. Uh, if you talk to her in private and, and ask her, hey, really, I want you to be honest. I won't tell your dad. Has he ever said anything negative about your mother? Anything bad about your mother? And the answer would be no. Hmm. I have not. I've allowed her to have whatever experience she's going to have with her mother. When mm -hmm. she comes to me and she talks to me about it, things that may have hurt her feelings that, that she's experienced with her mom over the years, I listen. I help her to process it. And I help and I guide her. One, I got her in therapy, but also mm -hmm. when I was dealing with the conversation, I would say, well, you know, how does that make you feel? What do you want to do? You know, did you look at both sides? I mean, did you look at your contribution to that? I helped her to understand that this is your relationship with your mother. You have to take ownership of it. That's, that's huge. And I think that's, that's good that you, again, had the, the wherewithal to not speak ill of her mother. Because obviously then that's going to put you in a further bad light, but showing that you're not going to speak ill. And I've heard that before in other instances, and it's usually been the other way around. Like, well, the mother is like, I'm not speaking ill of your father, even though he's done this, that, and the other, I'm not going to talk bad about him. you make your own determination, how you feel about him. Or I should say, I've heard it both ways, but I appreciate you, your, your candor in sharing that. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about just you know, maybe some of the challenges that you have personally. Um, obviously, you, you have this big role where you help others, men and as, as children alike, helping get past certain things. But you as a personal, uh, as a father, what challenges do you come across um, as a dad? I'm a girl dad, right? I have three three daughters in my life, one biological and two stepdaughters, or as they uh -huh. call bonus daughters, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, the relationship with my stepdaughters was, was very difficult 
in the beginning because of the fact that they were, and they still are, and rightly so, they are, you know, they love their father, mm -hmm. right? And they felt a certain kind of way about me, hmm. right? Hmm. And my challenge was, I'm a good dude. <laughs> <laughs> How come you don't like me? <laughs> I, I, I like me. What's My up? Loves me, you know. <laughs> right. And so I had to, I had to work a, a lot, man, to move away from that ego, right? Mm. And I had to, you know, understand that my position is not a father in the traditional sense, mm -hmm. but it's a father in the sort of global sense. Mm. Right. That, you know, I'm there for them in ways that I could be there for them in ways that they allow me to be there. And when I do show up and they do allow me the access to show up, I have to show up in a way that, you know, I'm being very purposeful, also very aware about, you know, who they are and how I can best contribute. And that and that took and that took a moment, man, because I had to get past the whole hurt feelings and the ego and the resentment mm. of not being received in a certain way. But once I was able to do that, I was able to see them and not see whatever sort of moments I was going through. Gotcha. Right? And so that was a beautiful experience because that actually helped me to be a better father mm. in general, into my own biological daughter, because I knew that I was more careful with them than I realized I was being with my daughter, mm. right? In terms of just like the tonality, in terms of just the patience, right? So it allowed me to examine that relationship and to be and to start being a better father over there. Where we are now, you know, I think that we're all in a good place. It's challenges, but but we're in a good place in that we all kind of understand who we are to each other, mm -hmm. right? And there's this sort of balance in the ecosystem now. But gotcha. it wasn't it wasn't easy to get there, man. But you know, we we were able to get there because again, I did that radical examination of myself. Internal, <laughs> internal. Uh, it's, it's internal, man. Like was yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, food. Uh, O'Shea talks to him and his wife. Mm -hmm. Melanie, they talk about internal balance, right? And oh, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it is about that, right? It is about being balanced within, and then you you project that character out, mm -hmm. right? So that's something that it just took a moment for me to do. But once I got into the rhythm, once I got into the flow of it, I was able to, you know, continue to do it. Can you talk, because um, I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, and I like, again, that you're just being open and sharing that it wasn't perfect for a while and you had to get there. You had to deal with, your, like you said, your own ego and, and pride and the fact that how you not accept me, you know, because I think it's something that happens a lot. I mean, there's mm -hmm. tons of blended families um, that are out right. there. And so yes. I'm sure that this is something that comes up all the time. Can you talk about like what steps? I know you said you kind of looked inward, but what things did you purposely do to make sure you foster that relationship with your stepdaughters? First was the was the internal work, right? Okay. I had to start looking at, you know, what was joyful in that dynamic, mm -hmm. right? What was joyful in my, that dynamic, and then it's the overall family dynamic, and then the mm -hmm. overall life dynamic, right? So I started to do a gratitude list okay. each morning, right? And that really helped me to start really saying that, oh, I don't like when this happens, but I'm focusing too much on this, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not allowing me to see one, two, three, four, as my list was growing, right? I, oh, but, you know, we did have a good moment. We did watch a show here. We, we all enjoyed mm -hmm. that show. 
uh, we went out to dinner. That was really good. We, we had, we laughed, right? I, I, I couldn't see those things because the next day something may have happened when one of them didn't say good morning or something like that, or didn't uh, do something that I felt like, well, do you should do because I'm the adult or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I was able to stop focusing on those things, which allowed me to focus on the things that were positive, which brought joy to me. And then I was able to project that joy in the household, which then allowed them to start to disarm a little bit because they saw that, you know, they wasn't, there wasn't this sort of expectation for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was, I was creating a joyful, I was providing a joyful atmosphere. Like most men think provision is just money, man. But what right. I wasn't doing was I wasn't providing a joyful atmosphere in my home. Uh-huh. And when I began to look at the things I needed to do in order to do that, I had to incorporate certain things into my practice. Mm-hmm. Right. The things and I and that included started, you know, I started exposing myself to readings, authors like Michael Singer, Untethered Soul, Tyra Brock, uh, Radical, uh, Radical Acceptance, just uh, Stephen Kotler, Flow. I listened to a lot of, uh, you know, tapes by a guy named Tony Porter. He talks a lot about what men should do. So I just started to broaden my my understanding and awareness of those things that were preventing me from, you know, being the type of father that I wanted to be, yes. the type of father figure that I wanted to be. Mm. A lot of what I'm hearing you say, and um, and I hope, you know, when, when this airs, that people can really listen and understand. It's like, it's an inward work. Like you have to do the internal work. Like, I think it's, it's so very important. And, you know, obviously you're in a relationship as well, beautiful wife. And so I think even in your spouse, there are things that you have to work internally that you can't carry over from, you know, previous situations or what have you, um, cause it, it doesn't help. And so we have to do the work. We have to do the work. We can't imagine that. And I, and I love how you said, you know, you're walking around the house and you're not giving, you know, you're not bringing joy, but you're the, mm-hmm. you're, you're the parent. So you should just do right. what I say, or you right. should just be happy with what I'm providing to you. And right. it's like, wait a second. Like, well, no, let's, let's have some joy. Right. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, you're providing and you're, you know, financially or whatever food is on the table, but if you don't have the right atmosphere and, and you're bringing doom and gloom, like right. how do you expect like to have a happy household? How do you expect exactly. to have everything cohesive? Like, it's just not going to work that way. And so I think it's Absolutely. important yeah, that you obviously, and again, we always, you know, uh, working on ourselves. I don't care how old we get. I think it's important to, to always check, you know, do those self checks. Um, but it's, it's important to do that. So that way, you know, what you're bringing to the table and you know, right. what's really happening with the people that are around you that you love and care for ultimately. Absolutely. Look, I, I do the inward work now, man, religiously, right? Because there's so many things that can remove you from that frame of thought mm-hmm. that if you're not constantly building practices in your life to keep you in a joyful place, you're going to be removed from your position of joy. You're going to be removed outside. My wife does a lot of work. Uh, Thea Monier, she does a lot of work. I call her joy specialist. She does a <laughs> lot of work. <laughs> she really is. She does a lot of work in helping people understand how to stay in what she calls the seat of joy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and from, and, and as I, received that information and I incorporated it in my life, I began to see, understand that you, when you, when you get the information, you just, that's, you know, when you read a book or you watch a video, that's just information, right? Mm-hmm. The words don't teach, mm-hmm. right? Words inform, but what re- really 
teaches and trains the body is through the practice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're not practicing doing the things inwardly, then when you try to bring this information, you try to bring it out, it's just, it's just not one, it's not going to be very authentic, authentic mm -hmm. because you're just not in the practice of doing it. And then you're going to be upset because it's not being received in the way that they speak about on the video or the books that what could happen as a result of you doing these things. Right. You have to do it constantly because there's constant things that try to remove you from who you really are. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to have a practice to keep you there. And then once you're in the practice of it, it won't seem like something you have to do. Mm -hmm. It'll just be something that you know is it becomes this joyful thing that you do, mm -hmm. right? This becomes this thing that you know keeps you in, as I as I like to call it, man. This keeps you in the 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 the, the sun of your joy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then you start to realize that joy never leaves, mm -hmm. right? Happiness never leaves, right. right? You just sometimes, as a result of certain things that may happen in your life, you are outside of that. You may be in the shade, mm -hmm. so you're not feeling it. But if you're in the practice of doing it, you fall right back into the, the actual brightness of it more easily if you didn't do it. And you don't take people with you <laughs> frequently, right? So because if you're not in the practice of being joyful and being happy, what happened is you you just you're not in the you're not in the mindset of not bringing other people into a place of darkness. Gotcha. One, because you have influence over people. So even if you're not purposely like getting people angry the projection of your attitude, the projection of your, of your personality, mm -hmm. people love you, people care about you, they will be influenced by that to feel a certain way. And then now you are unintentionally moving them out of their place of joy. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's huge. Joy specialist. Shout out to Thea. <laughs> Shout out to Thea Monet. <laughs> <laughs> She's super dope, man. She's super yeah, dope. She is. She yeah. is. I want to uh, shift gears a, a little bit again and and just I just want to see like how like when it comes to, you know, raising your children, like you said, you have three beautiful daughters and I like to to kind of get to show kind of the old school and like the new school, so to speak, for lack of a better term. What have you adopted in raising your your children that may be a difference from where how you were raised or if it's the same? You can speak to that as well. Well, the whole idea of children should be seen and not heard. Mm hmm. You know, uh, I guess it's after the uh, statute of limitations. So I could say this. I, I, I got whippings. <laughs> I don't think DC and come get my mother for that. Right, 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 right. It's, it's already passed. Like, mom it's is already okay. passed. It's seven mom years, is I think. Mom is good. You know, yeah, leave yeah, her yeah. alone. Yeah. Uh, so those sort of things, man. I, children are exposed to so much information. Yes. So much more than we were, right? It was mm -hmm. easier to be a parent when you only have five, seven stations that they're getting information <laughs> from. Right. A transistor right. radio, right? <laughs> Where, but when you have children that could, you know, press a power button mm -hmm. and be exposed to the world mm -hmm. on, in so many different ways, yes, in ways that affect their image of themselves, that that are building their their psyche, right? When you are being confronted with that, that's a that's a different dynamic. And so you can't say children should be seen and not heard because if you don't hear from them, you won't know what they're being exposed to. You won't have the opportunity to have conversations with them about what they are being exposed to and to hear them and say, oh, okay, 
how do you feel about that? How did that make you feel? What did this make you want to do? Or you know, how did, you know, what are you doing as a result of this? Let's talk about it, right? But there's this dance that you got to do with that, man, because, you know, we often say, me and Thea, that we're not raising children, we're raising adults, right? And so you have to, you have to give them the opportunity to experience life as they are experiencing it, but also guide them without them fully understanding and knowing that that guidance is maybe pulling them away from something that they feel a strong propensity towards, right? And you have to con not confuse when you're doing that about something that make that you feel somewhat uncomfortable with because that's not something you would do. So it's really a delicate dance, man. Uh, Khalil Gibran writes, I got a collection of his work and in one of his pieces, it was called, I think it was called Parenting or, or, or Childhood or something like that. And, and the query someone asked, it's almost as if they're speaking to a deity and they say, speak of, speak of, of parenthood. And the deity goes on in essence saying that as a parent, you are like an archer, right? And so you and the bow is like the child, right? I mean, the arrow is the child, right? So you have, you have the bow and then you, you, with the arrow, you pull it back. And the goal is to make sure that you aim that in the most straightest way you can. But then once you release that arrow, you just have to have a peace with yourself that you have no control over it at that point. You really have very little control when the bow is in your hand, but you really have no control once that bow is released from your hands. So you have to have done all the work that you've done before whatever personal guidance system that you put into them, whatever love, whatever you know, understanding the concepts of joy. So all of that goes back to inner work. If you're not working on yourself and constantly saying, how am I, what am I pouring into my child? When you release that arrow, man, it's going to get caught up in a storm if you haven't done any work. And the arrow won't go straight. And it's going to take longer for that child to find its, you know, their way because you refuse to find your way as a parent. Man, Mark, you are spitting hot fire, <laughs> my friend. Like, this is so good. Like, I'm, you're, you're, I mean, I've heard these things before, but just not in the way that you said them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, I think that's really dope. Um, and the angle that you're, you're coming in, um, I think it's, and it, yeah, man, I, I think it's really dope. We could, we could talk for hours really. Um, uh, but I, I think it's really, um, great that you have, you know, obviously thought through this and obviously, as you mentioned, you do a lot of reading and a lot of research. So obviously that helps as well, right? Absolutely. Because you're able to pull from different sources. Uh, and I think that's huge, but yeah, that, that, that arrow thing. Yeah. Bottle that up. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's where it's at, bro. I do want to, uh, to close out by asking, um, what advice would you give? And this is, could be to a new father, um, or someone that's been around, like you said, you, 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 you work with fathers that's, you know, mm -hmm. been there for a while. Or someone that maybe, you know, like myself that doesn't have children, but maybe want someday. Um, what advice would you give them? I start with, because I'm a girl dad, I start with this. You have to change the mental picture, right? I took a picture of my daughter in my, in my mind when she was five. She was my little princess, right? And when she was walking across that stage going, graduating or moving on from the fifth grade into the sixth grade, there was this whole different human being in front of me. And I realized I didn't change the picture yet. 
So I was still in some ways dealing with her as this five-year-old little princess, but she was about to go into a world where she was not a five-year-old little princess. So I had to quickly started to grow and realize in what ways I was still treating her that way. So you got to constantly change the mental picture and you have to find ways to be comfortable with that because it is difficult, right? Because you want to, in that way, when you envision them in that way, as a father, you can envision yourself always protecting them. They're knight in shining armor. But when you change the picture, you have to understand that in changing the picture in that process, you have to relinquish those ideas and just start having faith and trust in them. Mm-hmm. Right. So they can have faith and trust in their own abilities. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the more you hold on, the more you try to control, the more you try to contain what you're actually doing is you're preventing them from having faith in their own abilities because they don't get to test those abilities. Mm-hmm. And those in those moments of test, you will be tested. Right. Because your I, you know, you if you get those prickly feelings in your back, like, oh, she wants to go to the store for the first time for by herself. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? There's creeps out there, right? Right. It means that you have taught her how to protect herself. You've mm-hmm. taught her what, you know, the things to look out for. And you just have to trust that she is going to respond in a way that will keep herself safe. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pray. You have to pray to the universe, pray to whatever, you know, higher source you believe in. With, with men, boy dads, I say, you know, teach, your, teach them to not create and perpetuate a, an abusive culture. Hmm. I don't want to have to tell my daughters, this is how you, you know, you can't dress this way, you can't do that, because someone else hasn't told their son that you don't do this. Right. Love your sons and let your sons un- see you emoting and see you being connected to your emotions. So when they get older, as they grow, they have permission to be connected to their emotions. You can teach them, if you want to teach them the, the, the ideology, the philosophy of being a protector and divider, provider, teach them that. But also teach them that there's an expansive understanding, there's an expansive version of that. You provide not only, as I said, financial uh, sustenances, but you also provide love. You provide joy. You don't just protect in a physical way. If someone busts through the door, yes, you protect that. You protect your home. You protect your domicile. But you also protect the emotional content of the home. You don't disrupt that. In order for you to be able to do that, you have to be aware emotionally of how people are feeling. You have to be aware of how what you're doing, how that's affecting the emotional atmosphere. So we have to teach our sons that. That's huge, man. Yeah. That all of that, all of that, everything that you said for sure. Um, I think that's huge. And I think the fact that you broke it down to both, right? Whether you're raising a son or a daughter, um, these are things that is important. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mark Winkler, everybody, um, this man, <laughs> the gyms boy, dropping a boom, 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 boom. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Uh, no, this is really good. Um, I want, um, before I let you go, I do want you to be able to let people know, like, of course, how to find you, but also like, um, where they can, you know, purchase your book, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Cause I'm sure that after hearing this, a lot of people will be interested in that. MarkRWinkler.com. Okay. Everything about me is in that space. <laughs> Perfect. MarkRWinkler.com. There's links to the book. I, I don't I don't really do social media that much. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a, a social media page, but it's not really active. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, I, I keep my page pretty active. And, and it's so markrwinkler.com. Okay. I love it. Everything one-stop shop. <laughs> one-stop shop. One-stop shop. Well, man, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and Saintly Productions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share with all your family and friends. Please remember to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. And for all your booking needs, please visit www.stayonthemic.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next episode.